Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church, advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. Jeremiah chapter 32 verses 1 to 3 and verses 6 to 15. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of King Zedekiah of Judea, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadrezzar. At the time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was confined in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king Judah, where King Zedekiah of Judah had confined him. Zedekiah had said, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, I am going to give this city in the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is going to come to you and say, Buy my field that is at Anathoth, for the right of redemption by purchase is yours. 
Then my cousin Hanamel came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, Buy my field that is at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, and I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out the silver to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the silver on the scales. Then I took the sealed deed of copy containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, to the, in the presence of my cousin, Hanamel, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of the guard. In their presence, I charged Baruch, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both the sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware jar, in order that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be brought in this land. The word of God for the people of God. Amen.
Thank you, choir. Thank you, Jerry. Will you pray with me now the words of preparation which are printed in uh, either your print bulletin or your digital bulletin. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Have you ever heard of the expression, dark night of the soul? It's used commonly these days to refer to those periods ranging from an existential crisis to just kind of a prolonged uh, period of spiritual malaise. It's a, it's a cousin of the experience of languishing, which the New York Times uh, described as a, a feeling that many are having coming out of the COVID shutdowns and on which I preached a while back. Well, the expression dark night of the soul comes from a book written in the 16th century by the Spanish Carmelite monk known as St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross was a mystic and a poet. And for John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul was a specific journey through a kind of darkness uh, with successive steps toward God. Though there's some evidence that John of the Cross may have been in prison when he wrote this famous poetical work, it could have also been a metaphorical kind of imprisonment in which he felt trapped by the ideas and conclusions he had about God, causing him not to be able to find God. 400 years later, in 1945, Georgia Harkness who was the first woman to be appointed to a full professorship at a seminary, wrote her own version of Dark Night of the Soul. She was teaching at Garrett, the seminary I attended just north of Chicago. And though Harkness's Dark Night of the Soul mirrors St. John of the Cross's book about a journey through night to union with God, Harkness's book is a lot more personal. What I learned at Garrett Seminary from professors who knew Harkness or, or those who were, who were connected to those who had known her was that she wrote the book in a state of profound depression. And though she was considered one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century in a world dominated by men, she had she'd graduated from high school at age 14, she entered Cornell and graduated with honors, she was ordained at an elder in a, in a time actually before the ordination of women was allowed in the United Methodist, in the Methodist Church in the 30s. Um, she was an amazing woman and she was noted for her prolific work and energy. Um, but when she got to Garrett, she started to experience a series of severe illnesses and lethargy. And worse, she felt like God was abandoning her. She asked for a leave of absence and wrote to the seminary president saying she felt, quote, a spiritual defeat in not being able to trust God and live triumphantly. This last week, I was in Kansas City attending a conference called Leadership Institute. It's a, it's a large training conference for pastors and lay people, which I've attended before. 
And in previous trips, I've left feeling energized and inspired with a lot of ideas and new connections and new friends. This time, attendance was about half of what it has been in previous years. And about half of the sessions were devoted to trying to deal with coming back. <laughs> and this period of um, after shutdowns and uh, this, the, the pandemic that we're still experiencing in this, own, uh, in this new iteration. And I, I enjoyed the conference, but there was a kind of awkwardness and a, a lack of energy to the interactions. One of the keynoters even spilled a whole cup of tea on herself while she was speaking. And it just seemed like uh, she, she was acting out for the entire conference what we were all experiencing. We, maybe we're all just a little bit off right now. Well, I imagine that Jeremiah, who we continue with in our scripture today, must have been feeling depleted and off too. How could he not have been? He was compelled by God to speak the truth to the people of Judah and Israel. And as a faithful person of the time and a prophet, he had no choice but to do what God was asking of him. He had the terrible gift of being able to see what was actually happening. And so in response to Jeremiah just doing his job, trying to warn the people, trying to help them, there's a plot on his life. And though the plot to kill him fails, he's later beaten and then thrown into jail. The people and the powers didn't like what he was saying. His crime was trying to tell the people the truth about themselves. Have you ever tried to reflect reality back to someone who didn't hear it? Want to hear it? And, and um, how did that go? Well, during Jeremiah's confinement, his cousin came to him and offered him the option of buying his uncle's land in his home area of Anathoth. It was a choice piece of land in the middle of a war zone. And no one knew how long the siege would continue, but Jeremiah himself predicted that it would go on for some time. At that time, this particular field was under the control of the enemy. So what would you do in that situation? Great option on the land. Well, as we heard in the scripture that Amy and Ruby read this morning, Jeremiah bought the field. No one could believe it. But you see, it, it makes perfect sense. It's consistent with what Jeremiah has been saying all along. God is faithful at all times. Difficult things do happen. And the prophetic task is to be honest about that. Voicing loudly the experience of grief and despair and lament. Not only because God can handle it, but because it is the only way to hope. At the time that I was at Garrett learning about Georgia Harkness, I had my own dark night of the soul. Though I met the love of my life, Elizabeth, I came out in a church that did not 
and does not still ordain gays and lesbians. The joy of love turned to despair as people, including some seminary professors, shook their heads and said, you'll never be a pastor. Or worse, you shouldn't be a pastor. And this resulted for me in a profound disconnect from God. I stopped praying. I felt that if God wanted to hear from me, God could speak first, fix the situation. But my experience was like that of the psalmist in Psalm 39 who said, I will guard my ways that I may not continue brokenness with my tongue. I will keep a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was silent and still I held my peace to no avail. My distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. While I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Lord, let me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting my life is. The psalmist in distress, giving God the silent treatment, ultimately could not keep silent. And in the same way, I finally broke my self-imposed disconnection and turned to God and said, how could you? How could you ask me to serve in this way and then block the path? In that honest utterance came the opening of my own grief and tears. And I heard the words, there will always be a place for you to serve. Hope. There is more to the story of Georgia Harkness. A few years into her experience of illness and depression, she wrote her own version of Dark Night of the Soul, shining a light on the depths she had endured. And in that expression, she was led to prayer and service and it seems love and companionship. Georgia Harkness left Garrett about five years after she wrote Dark Night of the Soul and came here to Berkeley. She began teaching at Pacific School of Religion. She joined Trinity United Methodist on the other side of campus. She died in 1974, and what is stated in her obituary is that she left behind her companion of 30 years, Verna Miller. Is it possible that Harkness's dark night of the soul had some of the same roots as my own? I'm going to conclude it was likely. Harkness and Miller were introduced in 1944 and shortly thereafter moved in together. Harkness wrote Dark Night of the Soul in 1945 and the two moved together to Berkeley in 1950. I wish I had been able to know the fullness of her story while I was at Garrett. I think it would have been a great solace to me. But what I do know and what we know now is that history is finally recording the breadth and the truth of LGBTQ lives now. Now please don't misunderstand me. This isn't a story about the progress, progress of history based on the ingenuity of humans and the development of industry and empire and us becoming somehow more enlightened. In fact, in, in many ways, that is just another story of exceptionalism. 
This is a story about faithfulness and God's faithfulness. In his book, Reality, Grief, Hope, that has been the companion to this series, biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann writes, in the midst of near despair, the prophetic task is to articulate hope. The prospect of fresh historical possibility assured by God's good governance of the future. Jeremiah, for, for Jeremiah, this was a new covenantal community that had accepted the reality that relationship with God was not some divine insurance policy that nothing bad would happen, but a radically different way of being that was in itself life. Brueggemann goes on to describe this new prophetic imagination as the nurture of communities in which the unuttered possibility is uttered. The thoughts beyond our thoughts are thought, and the ways beyond our ways are known. In such circumstance, walking by sight is likely a return to the old ways that have failed. Walking by faith is to seek a world other than the one from which we are being swiftly ejected. St. John of the Cross said, for a soul will never grow until it is, it is able to let go of the tight grasp it has on God. I believe what he meant by that is that we so often imagine that God is like us, only bigger. But the reality is that we are like God, only infinitesimally smaller. And the totality of who God is is beyond our comprehension. When we lean into that mystery with the honesty of reality and grief of this human experience, we find God, a bigger God than we had previously imagined, a God who understood our human experience so completely that he hung on a cross, showing us both the brokenness of the world, and the hope. A few years after Georgia Harkness and Verna Miller arrived in Berkeley, Harkness wrote the hymn, Hope of the, Her the World, which we sang as we opened wor worship this morning. It's a hymn of relationship and faithfulness, come what may. Hope of the world, she writes, God's gift from highest heaven bringing to hungry souls the bread of life. Still let they, their spirit unto us be given to heal earth's wounds and end all bitter strife. On this World Communion Sunday, let us proclaim the relationship we have with one another and with other Christians all around the world and persons of faith all over the world. Let us imagine ourselves part of a human community that lives and breathes and sighs and hopes with faithfulness beyond our imaginations.
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. I want Jesus to walk with me. I want Jesus to walk with me all along my pilgrim journey. I want Jesus to walk with me. trials, Lord, please walk with me. In my trials, Lord, please walk with me. Cheers.